What's up, everybody? My name is Chase Williams, and sitting across the table, he's always got a beer in hand. It's Hunter Dorsett. Man, that makes me sound bad. <laughs> Hunter, you drink a lot of beer. I know, but in fact, that I'm, makes people be like that alcoholic. Well, <laughs> in moderation, you're not drunk every night. Yeah, in fact, I get rarely drunk. I'd say, but I always because well, you're have, such a bad. I always do sort of have a beer in hand, especially if I'm just chilling out. There was a moment a few weeks ago where Hunter was like, "Nah, man." I can't really go out or anything this weekend. I'm I'm strapped for cash. I gotta I gotta hunker in and just enjoy myself and on the house. I'm like I get that. I get that. Goes out and buys like a 18 pack of beer. I'm just like <laughs> I don't get it. I, I'm out of I have I don't understand anymore. Well, I can either do that and spend like twenty dollars, or I could go somewhere and spend like fifty dollars for like six beers. I think it just showed me that beer is on your essentials list. It is on an essential. It's an essential part. I literally put it into my parent. Like I made a budget for my parents for the last couple of months Uh because they were helping me split like my 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 income that they were gonna disposably give me. Shout out to the parents. uh, Yeah, thank you, mom and dad. And uh, I literally put in the budget like. Basically eighty dollars a month worth of chance. <laughs> well, if you don't know, this is not Witty Banter today. Witty Banter is more of like a longer, girthier, more erect show. Today, you're getting just the quip. How shafty! Just the quip is just a. We dive just a little bit into whatever we feel like talking about. It's a topical based show. There's no beer reviews here, no news items, just whatever we feel like talking about at this day. Um, and today, we're going to talk about video games again. Yeah, and uh, I've actually gotten some responses from our most dedicated fans that they like when we talk about video games and stuff. So it's fun. Yeah, uh, even w- me. Yeah, look at you. I, I mean, I mean, Moment. Like Moment was somebody who told me, like, yeah, I see Chase putting up all his video game stuff, and I love it. And I'm like, I'm gonna make sure to tell him. That. Nice. <laughs> yeah, glad I know someone's reading it. For sure. Um, so today's topic of conversation is going to be The Witcher and Massive Chalice. Okay. Now, we talked about The Witcher in sort of like a preview since a few weeks ago, maybe in a month ago now. But since then, you have beaten it. You've put a lot of time into it. Yes. And so we're going to get sort of like our conclusive opinions on it. We're not going to go too far into it just because, like, honestly, I've been so far removed from it. We And you probably haven't really thought about it as much as you have just played it recently. So this might not be the most in-depth analysis, but I still want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Um, so just real quick, Hunter, how much time have you spent with The Witcher now? <laughs> I'm going to say over 100 hours. Okay. So that's decent. Yeah. And just so you like stop smirking, you don't have to feel bad. I do feel bad. I put 165 <laughs> hours into Skyrim. Oh, okay. I put 325 hours into Oblivion. Jesus. And I've easily probably put like 200 hours into Dark Souls. And those are all the same. No, Dark Souls is. But Skyrim and Oblivion, are those the same? Is that Bethesda? That's the same developer, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. But yeah, that's. So that's just like, what, over 500 just right there? There's already people who've put like 2,000 hours into Destiny as well. I'm just saying it gets worse. Okay. Well, uh, in fact, a hundred hours tells me you really enjoy a game. Eighty hours, like really, really enjoy. It. Eighty hours is like, wow, you've spent time with that game. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal. Okay. Um, okay. I'm here for support, baby. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you've beaten the storyline and then some. All right. Yes. I kind of want to just talk to you about the story because in open world games, especially, and this kind of is going to harken back onto like some of the writing that I, a piece that I did earlier, like. The narr- the way the narrative works is you have this massive world, right? And yes. there's typically like some mysterious p- plot line where you're trying to figure something out. In this case, it's the... Oh, by the way, full spoilers for all- both these games coming up. Sorry, we're we're getting into it. I yeah, mean, It's been out for a while. It so, has been. Yeah. 
Um, you got like something that's following your ward who wants to take her for certain reasons. And so that is sort of drives you um, through the game. And what happens is every time you get a piece of information, more mystery is opened up. Right. And it just goes on and on and on. And plus, like, honestly, probably 99% of video game stories suck. And right. that's just the truth of it. Okay. Uh, half the time it's because they don't want to put the resources in because most people are going to see the ending anyway. Okay. So I want to hear what your just overall impression was of the story arc as a whole. Uh, well, I liked uh, the characters and the breadth of characters. Um, you know, not getting into the, the secondary quests, sticking on the primary quests. I mean, there's, there's a lot of sort of trope figures that you feel like you know any good story should have like mm-hmm. Vesemir kind of being the guy who's like your buddy but also almost like a dad like figure and he's like telling everybody the ropes and stuff. the old he's wise like a, man yeah he's like an old school witcher you know so that's really cool and then you have like three different chicks that are all up on you which is pretty cool <laughs> they're, they're witches and like you help them do a lot of their little stuff and sometimes you're like hey you're using me and you get pissed off, and then other times you're like, "Hey, let's uh, let's, I'm using let's go you, back baby. in the woods, baby." And so that you know that whole part is cool. You know, you stay true to Yennefer and stuff throughout the story, or whatever. But um, it's cool, kind of fooling around with with <laughs> Triss and the other chick or whatever her name is. Um, I liked I one thing that I'll say about the story that was surprising when it first came up that I was. I guess I, it wasn't that it was so cool to play, but it was. I was glad that they give you a little different perspective. Was having you play as Siri. Uh huh. Um, you know, you, like it's almost like at the end when when Geralt. There's three main places that you're supposed to go ex- explore. There's um, Novigrad. There's Velen, and there's Skellige. And whenever you get to basically the end of the quest, of the primary parts of the quest in a certain region, uh, you have like a flashback of somebody giving you information about Siri, and then you get to play as Siri. And it's not like it's that much different. It's just like she's a witcher, but then she has like superpowers. But I just thought it was cool to like get you out of Geralt. It sort of breaks you. It, it, it changes the rhythm. It, right, it, yeah. it, it fluctuates the pace of the game and kind of gives you something else to do mm-hmm. while you're doing something. It's like if you're reading a book and you've been, and you've gone through like six long chapters and then he gives you a one little short chapter mm-hmm. and you're just kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, yeah. it, it's like a little rejuvenation of, of your efforts. So that was cool. I was glad they threw that in there and give you a little dis- different perspective. Um, I thought that the game had, as far as the plot goes, there was a lot of parts, especially toward the end, where I was just getting so fed up uh, with listening to it all that I was just squaring through all of it, you know, just like... Just skipping it? Skipping everything. So it really wasn't all engaging then towards the end. But I don't want to blame them because it just, it wasn't that it wasn't engaging, it was just that... It wasn't engaging enough for me to spend all the time listening to everything that they were saying. But but I can't fault them in that, like, I can't just tell them, like, make less stuff, you know? Like, I, I like that there is that depth of the story and that if you are willing to take the time to do it and you are that enthralled by that world that, like, you're going to be fulfilled in that regard. But for me, it just got to a point where I, I was much more... In, enthralled by the uh, by the fighting and the upgrading and that kind of stuff, and you're basically like it's let me play the game, right? You yeah. know, and 
do you think maybe there could have been a way to tell the story maybe towards the end or throughout it period where it kind of took you out of the game less? I mean, they sort of try to give you some interaction by allowing you to choose dialogue choices and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, if you are skipping that just so you can get back to actually playing, do you think it would have been better suited to figure out a way to create narrative exposition without taking you out of the experience? Yeah, I mean... Like, basically giving, like, would there be a better way of interacting with people and stuff? Or if um, things, if story was voiced over and you never lost control of the game, or if it was not emphasized as heavily and it was sort of just there if you wanted it, like, you could go read, um, I don't know, like, law books and shit about it. Yeah, I don't know. It's It's tough because, like... The thing that you're going for in a game is, again, we're trying to get to the playing part, right? But in order for it to make sense for us to get from playing part to playing part, we have to be, we have to uncover some sort of information. And, you know, in in these kinds of worlds, like, the way you get information is talking to people and Mm -hmm. listening to people. And um, so, I mean... I, I think at least in all fairness, like at least they gave you the option to skip it. You know sure. what I mean? Like, I think I, th- I think that's why I'm not too bummed about it because in the end, it really didn't um, it didn't hamper my experience that much. I mean, it was sort of annoying having to skip through the whole thing, but you know, I- if I didn't want to, I wouldn't have to, and the fact that I wanted to and I was able to was okay. So I don't know. I, I think it would take somebody really clever a lot more in depth and understanding how games work and how I mean it's a pro- it's just a problem something that the medium is still trying to figure out. I mean when you think about an actual game um, and you can you can use chess as an example. Okay. Like the chess pieces are shaped sort of like medieval castles or like a bishop's hat and whatever to sort of give you the idea that maybe this is a war between two warring factions or families. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of that in f- like will tell you anything about how chess is played. Right. None of it affects the way chess is played. It just kind of informs what you're doing. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, that's what video games are at right now, where like at the end of the day, no narrative storyline is really going to inform or affect the gameplay. Mm-hmm. And now there's moments where like play, like what you're physically doing with the game and sort of like what's going on emotionally in the story can line up and finding that magic is like not really figured out yet. It right. just happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, was there a moment though where you found that like maybe the storyline at first was sort of the motivation guiding you to continue the to do quests and then eventually you died off of it or um, was it sort of always just kind of there, but then you just your patience fell? I think it had a lot to do with how I went about playing my my save. You know, I mean, um, I was getting to the point where I was, I wanted to make sure I was prepared. A lot of what happened in in the game, whenever I would die, was me not being like a high enough level, not having the right kind of armor, not having the shit that I needed going forward if I if I entered into some new territory or something, right? Like, I'd go into some place that I hadn't been before, and everyone around me would be, like, level 15. I'd be, like, level 10. I'd die. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was really, like, fleshing out the game as much as possible in the first land in Velen as I could. So 
I, I did all the secondary quests. I did as many Witcher, Witcher contracts as possible. I did all the treasure hunts and all that kind of stuff. And so that, I mean, it was very story-based driven at the beginning, but then I found myself being like, I'm not going to be done with this game for like a year if I don't, yeah. if I don't stop playing this way. I need, to, I need to be a little bit more resolute in my, in my, in my efforts. And, and it just got tired. Like, I got tired of hearing like random people talk about random stuff on certain occasions. You know, yeah. like it was just like, I'm literally here just to talk about whatever your contract is. And they're like, talk for two minutes or five minutes or however long about like, well, this girl went in the woods and yeah. and it starts to run together, you know? So yeah. you're just like, ah, I don't really care. Like I'm, I'm just, it, it makes you feel like a professional in that regard, like a professional witcher. You're like, I don't care what happened. Just tell me what happened. You know? Sure. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I think it, it, it resolved over, over time. You mentioned that there was a very wide breadth of side quests and missions and other things to do. And in that regard, The Witcher 3 might be one of the most dense games ever made. I would argue that, yeah. You know, and it kind of takes an approach a little different to, say, like a game like Fallout, where Fallout has side quests, but they're like two, hour, two hours long or something. They can be. Like, mm, okay. they're longer, they're fewer of them, but they're longer and more, uh, they've, they've got a longer duration on them. Right. This one, it seems to me, Witcher was sort of like a ton of little things. Mm-hmm. Out of all of the different activities, um, did you feel that those were super fun in their own right? Were there enough, um, like, were there variations in the side quests that kept them interesting or did contracts slash side quests slash treasure hunts and whatever else there was, um, all just sort of feel the same? Um, you know, I don't know because I think they did a good job with the side quests because one, there are so many of them. It's ridiculous how many of them there are. And, and what's weird too is that you uncover, you uncover quests just randomly. Like you'll be walking around the world and you'll quote unquote overhear somebody that you're near. And then that'll like become a quest. It, it's not, it's, it's not really like cool. It's not like they're all like pre mapped out. Like most of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, but every once in a while you'll just like be going in a random area that you've never been in. And like you'll uncover a quest. Um, so that's cool. Um, as far as like the secondary quests, how they're, how they're sort of classified. There's, there's primary quests, which are the main story. There's secondary quests, which are kind of like, I guess they're more, they're closer to like contracts, but they're not exactly contracts. They're just like you going and doing stuff, I guess, like to help people or do this or that for this person. Um, then there's Witcher contracts, and those are usually like you going and like accomplishing a mission, like killing this thing or, you know, racing this person or something. And then. Um, there are also, uh, treasure hunts, which is like you going to these random like caves and stuff and fighting off stuff and getting, getting stuff, getting treasure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I mean, there was, uh, you know, many classifications of what a side quest was and yeah, they, they changed it off a lot. I mean, some side quests you'd be told to follow like 20 steps before you finish. And then other ones, you do like two things and you're done. Um, I think that the main thing that I found as a drawback from the game regarding side quests was how experience was um, delegated just because I think it had to do relatively with what level you are. So like if I was a level 35 and then went back 
and did like a level 10 mission, it would give me like five points. Whereas like if I went whenever I was level 10 and did that level 10 mission, it would give me like 100 or 125 points or something. And that that kind of disincentivizes you because then whenever you get your guy really high, it's like nothing really means anything anymore, which is kind <laughs> of, which is kind of, you know, it kind of sucks. Yeah. Geralt has like an existential crisis. Yeah. It's yeah. Like <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's so, so much vanity, but, um, yeah, I mean, I liked the side quests. I can't imagine another game having more, um, uh, fleshed out, you know, detailed and, in depth amount of side quests as the Witcher, and that's what's allowed me to c- continue playing. If it was just like the the primary story, I would have been done after like forty hours, you know. But I think that it's all the side quests and and all just uncovering places and question marks and stuff that makes me, you know, continue to play. So leveling up, Geralt, being a level thirty five. At the end of the day, how much different does that make gameplay and make playing the game? Because listening to you play now versus when you first started, it still sounds like just hammering the square button, right? <laughs> yeah. And so what is happening on screen? What is happening when you're leveling up that is really changing things? Do things change or is it more of just sort of like more visual flair that your guy gets? Um, how did you feel overall about filling out the skill tree? I think um, I think the one drawback that I had about the leveling up is that you don't like uncover new um, like sword skills. You'd think that as you get better that you'd be like faster and like you'd be doing cooler moves and stuff, but that doesn't really happen. The, really, you just get stronger and like a more like all your percentages as far as like percentage chance to have this happen just go up. Yeah. Um, it's cool. It, I think one thing that is cool is the ability points um, and being able to, um, you know, as you level up, you gain ability points. As you find certain places called places of power, you get ability points. I thought the mutagen system was very neat. Yeah. Uh, it really lets you customize your guy uh, to, to a very finite degree. Um, and whenever you get those ability points, it allows you to kind of like invest in something that makes your guy better. Uh, in certain ways, like your fast attack is five percent better, your your magic skill has, can now do this or whatever. Um, so, I think that the main thing that may, that I mean, as you level up, it's just that you gain a lot more HP. Your your the ar- armor and stuff that you're provided with, you hopefully by the end of the game when you get to the level I'm at, that you're finding like the master crafter armors and blacksmiths and shit that can make you like whatever armor you uncover. Um, so you have like the super badass armor and then you have all these ability points that you've uncovered and you're just putting them in. I put most of mine into magic because you can just, you fuck shit up whenever you, <laughs> whenever you have really good magic skills and stuff. So, I mean, uh, the, the, uh, it, it's, it's now taking like a really, really long time considering that I don't have any more quests really. And I don't have, um, you know, I'm already a high level, so it's really hard to like push up a level now. It's it's sort of disincentivizing me to play anymore, just because like I feel well, they are like, releasing kind of a lot of free content, which I don't think we've downloaded yet. But there is some free content out there that give you more quests and stuff, wow, but um, great, yeah. which is sweet. So yeah, I mean, did you you're kind of talking about how like you're skipping storyline side quests ran together, but ultimately 
you're you're playing to level up to fill up those bars and level up mm-hmm. um so like what was what was the main hook like driving that loop you know was it just the fact that playing the game and at combat was a lot of fun you know like what kept you wanting to level up and do side quests that are running together i think that the the combat system can be improved i don't think that it was this you know flawless thing that kept me engaged the whole time i mean the 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 combat itself was fairly straightforward um i think it was more so just the discovery aspect of it and how you know you look on this map and you're in the middle of this huge landmass or even on these you know skelliga isles you're on these islands and stuff and you're surrounded by question marks and all of those mean completely different things. Some of them mean monsters, nests, some of them mean treasures, some of them mean quests and stuff. Um, but you just know that when you get there, it's going to let you know, like, hey, something happened. You got to this place. <laughs> and there'll be, you know, if you, if you think about it logically, you'll, like, think about little routes that you can go in to try and uncover as many question marks as possible in as short of a trek as possible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was just such a... It really is like a pretty world that they made, um, and I under like I think more than anything I just understood. I understood the basic components, you know, like the crafting and um, the alchemy and all that stuff. Like it, it didn't seem so complicated that I couldn't wrap my head around it. And so once I was like, okay, like maybe I can do this, then I was like, let's fucking do this. You know, like, <laughs> I've never really gotten to play a game like that, uh, or at least not one that's anywhere near that in depth. Um, so when I had some free time to myself to actually like let loose and, and play a first pl- first person RPG, kind of like that, it was just third know, p- third person third person RPG. Um, it was just really cool to to finally like I don't know just dive in. So you mentioned crafting and alchemy, which is the last thing I want to talk about. And what I want to get at as a whole was when I first started that game, the inventory system seemed very convoluted, hard to follow. And then I eventually started figuring out how to actually find the ingredients to craft things together. And I couldn't figure out if like looting the stuff in the world was worth it or if I should just buy things from a um, a merchant or whatever. And mm-hmm. even when I would have like almost three out of four pieces, I felt like I had no idea how to even go about acquiring the last one. And all of that kind of deterred me a little bit. Did the inventory system ever like just at a point makes sense to you and that's why you were able to continue do you think that it has its faults um also how did sort of crafting begin to ramp up as you as your level went up and how and just give me your overall impressions of those systems as well i think that the main thing that should be improved in the inventory system is further classification you know i mean you have these main things like quest items and uh, equipment items and, and, and stuff, but then you could find like 70 things in that world, and then in order for you to like access any of them, you have to scroll through like 10 pages downward yeah, in order to find the one thing. The you're management for. was atrocious, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, it seems like you would be able to have like subsects, like pages and stuff that you're searching through. Um, I mean, I got to the point where I played it so much that I, I could pretty much I. Like I would look at like a flower in the ran in the middle of the world and be like, "That's Wolfsbane." Fuck yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, that's so, awesome. Um, and I I basically went with the philosophy, um, 
where I just looted everything. Uh, and then I would, um, I would constantly be looting, and I would make sure that I wasn't looting people's like shitty equipment because that's always really heavy. And then I would, I regularly go and sell all my stuff. So like, sometimes I'll, I'll loot, I'll like go on this trek, and I'll, and I'll be out in the wild for like four hours, and I'll loot all this shit, and then I'll come back, and I'll have like so much stuff, and then I just sell it all until I have like seven or eight of like everything basically, and then. That way, if I'm crafting, like, I won't ever be like, oh, man, I shouldn't have sold that stuff off. Like, I have enough to be able to do that. Nice. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's just constantly kind of, like, weighing, weighing what you think is important. And as you get better and as you, like, do more quests, you have the ability to hold hold more stuff as well, which is, which is pretty clutch. Um, but I, I think that the inv- inventory system should have been classified a little bit better. I mean... If you have equipment, make it a swords page, and then you know, um, an armor page, a trousers page, instead of just putting it all in this big cubic square system thing where you're like searching through and like trying to remember what this looks like and what that's called. Like right now, I'm trying to find some letter, and I have like a billion, like literally probably 150 letters in my inventory. <laughs> And it's just like, find the letter that was in this treasure box. And I'm like, I don't know what that's called. I don't know where to go find that. Yeah. There's like two different places where they have letters and stuff too. One's quests, which you would think would be there, not there. <laughs> and then there's the other one where there's like all the books and all the journals and all the stuff. So, so inventory management still stayed kind of clunky then. It did. But as far as like the alchemy and crafting, I mean... It was pretty straightforward, I feel like. I mean, you'd go to a, a guy and be like, okay, well, repair this stuff. Um, if, if, if I, you can like attach certain upgrades to your, to your weapons and stuff, and then if you want those upgrades back, you have to dismantle your sword. And if you want, um, you know, if, if you want to be able to find this, you'd have to find like the diagrams in order to make higher level armor and trousers and boots and all that kind of stuff. But then once you find it and you find somebody that is able to craft it as far as their level, you get a master crafter. Uh, master crafter. Yeah, you find, I mean, most of the stuff you can like haggle with somebody nearby and like get all the stuff that you need. I, I felt like it wasn't ever really like completely out of reach to find the the items that I needed. You know, so. Cool. Well, <clears throat> with all that said, could you put a number on it? Yeah. What what do you feel? I'd give it like a 9.5. Yeah? Yeah. Just because there were definitely drawbacks and, um, you know, stuff like saying that it that has no loading screens when I spent a lot of time on loading screens in this, right. in this game. Uh, and, and stuff like the inventory system and, and the, the, the experience delegation. Those are definite drawbacks. But as far as like just everything else... Everything else is just pristine, you know. Yeah. It's just the the storyline is like intriguing, and you have good characters. I like I like leveling up. I like uncovering all the stuff that they have, and it doesn't really it doesn't ever feel like you're doing the same thing over and over again. You think it's gonna it's sort of opened you up to other like RPG fantasy games and stuff? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it definitely had the has the potential to. Um, I mean, I'm probably not going to play this that much more, but um, I think it just is going to depend on the game. I mean, like, that was such a massive undertaking 
that I can't imagine myself really like, I don't know if I didn't have the time like I did with the Witcher to really put forward and like just jump in, then I, I, I question whether or not I would really like get the full experience that I did from this, mm-hmm. you know, because if I, if I was just trying to play like an hour or two a night, then you're sort of like shutting yourself off from that world at a certain point. You're just like, well, I'm only going to enjoy it for this long. And then you can only do like one or two things. And it's like, okay, you know, that's going to take forever for me to do anything in this game. Um, but with this one, it was like, I just played for like two weekends straight and like got some fucking work done. So I'm definitely more open-minded because I haven't played a game like this, but it's, it's definitely going to depend on, on kind of my availability to be able to play stuff like that. Cause if I don't have as much time, I might want to play less epic, less, you know, otherworldly games and just kind of stick to some easier stuff. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and take a quick break right now. And then when we come back, we'll okay. go ahead and do um, our massive chalice discussion. Sounds good. This is witty banter. Don't forget to follow us at witty banter show on Twitter and shoot an email over to wittybantershow at gmail.com. And we're back. That uh, Witcher conversation went a little bit longer than I thought it was, but it was a quality conversation. So we're going to switch gears and talk about Massive Chalice, another game that, Hunter, you have played a, a bit of as well. Yes. What is What was your hour count on that one? We had it at like 72. Cool. And I don't think I'm going to play it anymore. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, I want you to give me f- or give the audience a very brief synopsis of what Massive Chalice is. Okay. Um, if I'm going to make it as brief as possible, for those of you that have watched Game of Thrones, uh, and for those of you that haven't, I mean, if you, hopefully you'll know something about it, but it's it's basically just about building legacies and investing in people and infrastructures and research in order to create a, 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 a territory or a region of different territories that will uphold the onslaught of a evil force called the Cadence. And you, uh, you try and build these things over a timeline that's a, a given amount of time. It's 300 years. Uh, and by the end, you're supposed to fight off all of these, all of these, uh, all of these cadence. So, right. Um, but it's a top down, um, turn-based tactical game. Yes. You, you end up having intermittent, intermittent attacks by the cadence. And whenever you, uh, whenever you have these attacks, you send off five warriors at most, I guess you can send last. I don't know why you would. Um, send off like five warriors to go fight them off. And the way you fight them off is you get dropped off in the region that you, that you want to protect. And yeah, it's a turn-based strategy game. So your team will have all their guys go and then their team will have all their guys go. Uh, and it has to do with like movement and, um, there's certain percentages that go with certain, uh, types of attacks and stuff. So, yeah. So yeah, definitely the most novel part of this game was introducing the bloodlines mm-hmm. and crafting these legacies of people and the fact that you know your heroes can age and once they get to a certain age they can die of old age if they don't die in battle. Yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah, um, which is really cool. Now, 
what I first, I guess what we first should talk to is just the actual combat system because it's probably where you spend about half your time in the game. And it's probably the easiest to digest. Okay. Um, now, this game has been compared to XCOM a whole lot. Um, it's sort of where it has its roots as an actual video game. Right. But where XCOM sort of features a very defensive-oriented gameplay where you're trying to constantly find cover and you move very slowly um, and meticulously, this game doesn't really utilize cover. It's more about having an offense as the best defense um, how did you find just the moment-to-moment gameplay of using your party members and taking out a whole swath of cadence on a map? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, there was more strategy to it than you thought, and 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 the notion that it's it has no cover in it is not entirely true. There are certain uh, things that give you obscurity, and you can hide behind certain vantage points to where like they can't see you, so they won't like know where to attack you and stuff. Um, but right, like it's not about like your height advantage and whether or not you're on their backside versus their front side. That, that stuff doesn't really make any difference. Um, but you know, it's interesting because, so for instance, like uh, when you build a lot of keeps, especially on the outskirts of your region, which give you, uh, like certain advantages when you, when you build it on the outskirts of the region, you'll have like a keep attack which um, instead of instead of just having like a normal attack where they just attack some region, they're attacking a certain keep. And um, that is like different in regards to how you approach it than just like a normal territory. So in your keep, like you are all about the family line, right? And when you have a keep attack, not only do you have your five people that are sent from the chalice from the capital, um, but you have the two people that are like running the keep that are on the map as well and generally like those people aren't as powerful as your heroes because they're you know they're not like training and stuff they're bureaucrats yeah they're you know they're they're making babies you know they're not trained they're not fighting so they're weaker and a lot of times they'll be like separated on the map from where all your guys are right and in that instance it's very important to be on the offensive because you want to converge your your guys as soon as possible and and make up for each other so that you're not having two guys fight 30 people over here and then uh five guys fight 10 people over here um so you have to converge and then take them take them out from the inside out whereas if you have like a a a keep or not not a keep attack like a territory attack where it's just like you're put in a territory and you have no idea where anything is and you're kind of just going around and killing whatever you have. It's more important to just stick together as a unit and move really slowly. Um, and so with that in mind, like that's, that's not really anything you think about whenever you first start, but as you start playing more and more and more and realizing like who's dying and why they're dying and what you need to be doing to stop that, there is like a variability in, in your tactic depending on each map that you're going on. I mean, sometimes you'll be in situations where if you have three archers, then like you're not going to lose. But then there's other situations where if you have three archers, you're you're effed. You know, <laughs> so a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to very like simple, um, simple strategic strategy stuff that you might not know, but or when you first start out. But as you continue to go and as you continue to lose and you know have people die and stuff, you're like, well, man, I, I need to kind of pick up on the cues on, on what's going on in these different places. Did you find the variation of enemies? Um, to be different and satisfying enough that um, gameplay stayed uh, fresh in the sense that 
there were enough different enemy types, and it never came down to the to the fact that basically what an enemy did was attack and hit you. You know, each one sort of had its own its own flair, and that and did and did that affect how your strat how you took things into strategic consideration and, and moment to moment stuff. If you want, I could give you because there's there's like a simple form and then an advanced form of each character. Which kind of gave you that longevity feel. You know, you weren't you're were going deeper like if you were two hundred and ninety out of the three hundred years into the game, you weren't fighting like simple characters anymore. You're fighting the advanced of everything. Um, but I think there's maybe like six or seven different types of characters. There's just like your straight up little pawns. Uh there's these things called lapses, which uh they can they can fire from a while or from a long ways away, and they can kind of make you forget about your X, XP. They call it like memory loss, which really sucks. Uh, that's interesting. And see, that's the kind of stuff they all have their own flair. They do. Okay, cool. So the seeds are just going to come up and hit you, right? Right. They're just little pawns. They're the basic unit. The laps lapses are kind of like bishops in the fact that like you know they they'll be able to attack you from far away, but they're not like super powerful or anything. There's wrinklers. Uh, those things. They really play on the age factor, which, you know, if you're trying to keep your... Say you send out a bunch of um, seasoned veterans into the thing. If you're fighting a bunch of wrinklers, you're kind of effed because they don't even have to take out your HP. They'll just hit you, and you every time they hit you, you gain five years of age. Which I think is super smart that that enemy is also playing in with the core mechanic and theme of the game. Yeah, you which know? is like to have you die out mm-hmm. at the same time as try and kill you. <laughs> so um, so there's those wrinklers. There's things called uh, bulwarks, and they're kind of like Blastoise-type figures, and like they're interesting They're interesting in the, in the thought that um, when you hit it, after you hit it, it gets this shell, and then after you hit it, like, for the rest of that turn, as long as it has that shell up, you can only do one damage to it, basically. Huh, so you basically get to hit it once per turn. Yeah, I mean, you can, if you do a lot of damage, and you get it down to, like, two damage, and you have, like, four guys around, you can take it out, but you you kind of try and get your punch in and then get it out of the way, because he can, because he's pretty powerful as well. Um. There's also um, there's also twitchers, which are kind of they look like gorillas, like ice gorillas, kind of like <laughs> dope. Yeah, they're, they're pretty cool looking, honestly. Um, and they kind of like twitch and stuff. And the thing with them is they can um, they can switch spaces with your character. So sometimes, like you know, you'll have like your group of people all around each other. And you're trying to, like, defend this one guy who's a little bit weaker. doesn't have as much HP. But he'll just, like, come out of nowhere, like, <laughs> gallop out of nowhere in his gorilla freaking strides. And then switch places with somebody in that retinue and then just, like, knock the shit out of everybody <laughs> in one turn. You're like, oh, no, like, that's not fair. So, uh, and, and two, when he hits you every once in a while, like, he'll stun you. So you're just out until the next turn or whatever. Um, so there's that. And the final one are called cradles, which um, they spawn seeds. Uh, and, and, and every once in a while, they'll have like a, a percentage-based attack where they, they can attack you and hit you with like a cannon kind of. And um, it doesn't hit every time, but when it hits, it, it hurts. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, those are the basic 
structures, and then there's all there's all, an advanced version of each of those. So, so more yeah, HP, more powerful, more everything. It sounds like there it's a very satisfying and dynamic cast of enemies there. Now, are the advanced versions just kind of like just more spongier versions of each one, or is there like a? a I mean, uh, they're just they're higher HP. They do more damage. They do the character models change at all for the advanced ones, or they just say advanced? Uh, the seed. The seed, advanced seed is different, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, really, the other ones are pretty much the same. Okay. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I think that they could have done, a, like, ten models. I think that was, like, what, six or seven? Uh-huh. I think they maybe could have done, like, ten, and really, like, that would have really, those extra three really could have th- shaken it up a little bit yeah. more. Because um, I did find myself kind of, the way it works is, like, so you you'll have Cadence try and attack your region, right? And, and and it's not like they just attack in one place. They'll be like, okay, the Cadence are attacking these three regions. And all your regions have three little squares of corruption. And if the Cadence win in a fight, or if you don't defend that region, you gain a corruption square. Um, and so they'll attack in like three different places, and you have to pick one. And so the other two are going to get corrupted. You know, like, no matter what. And then if you lose in the one that you pick, that one gets corrupted, too. <laughs> and all your heroes die. Um, so you really have to be... The, there's a lot of mechanics that go into which battle you're going to fight. Not only because you have keeps in different places, and you're like, okay, well, like, this one has a keep, but it's one corrupt, versus this one doesn't have a keep, and it's two corrupt, and if I don't save it, then, like, that region's going to go out. You know, yeah. That's not going to be, like, a safe haven anymore. Yeah. Um. And then they also tell you with which regions that are being attacked, which sorts of characters you're going to go against. So you'll have... So they let you know a little bit ahead of yeah, time. Yeah, they have like seeds and bulwarks and wrinklers here, and they'll have cradles and lapses and bulwarks on the other side. And then you're like, okay, well, this is going to suck dick <laughs> if I have to go against them, so I'm going to go over here, you know? Yeah. So there's really like a huge weighing thing with like all your decisions. I like that. It kind of... It kind of gives the stress of managing a realm, you know? It really does. And um and and so yeah, I mean I, I think that as far as like I think the character designs that they do have are really good. But I think having like an extra two or three really could have shaken it up to where I wasn't like relying on, you know, the main like like it, it was almost like if there was a seed in there, like that was where I was gonna go because I I mean it was like I could just kill those so easily and the other ones were so hard that I was just like, I'm not going to deal with these other guys. Like, they're going to fuck me up. So Yeah. Um, steering into, like, a different topic here, you mentioned earlier that sometimes the map you would drop into would totally be unsuited for your characters and you would be fucked because of it. Mm-hmm. You also talked about the randomness of having, like, a Twitcher spawn and all that. Uh, some of the reviews I was reading pointed towards this sort of randomness inherent in Master Chalice as its biggest weakness. And what they would say was, you know, with the whole bloodline mechanic, your heroes became resources in a sense, where you had to consistently like sort of keep up a good number of heroes and you wanted to level them up as much as possible because once the, you know, once they died, you have to remake new ones. Um but at the same time, a lot of your heroes could be lost to like old age yes. or heart disease. Yep. Um, and without really any sort of warning, you could, in a single turn, just watching your timeline move, you could lose the better half of your of your, your best, retinue, yeah. your yeah, your best little um, outfit there, 
did you find that that coupled with a map that might just fuck you because it was completely unsuited to your party? Um, did you ever find that there were just some there were just moments of time where it was just out of your control, like unfair, unfair, and just there was nothing you could have done, and it was a detriment to your experience. The only time I really, really felt like it was unfair was the first time that I went into the boss battle or into the final battle, which again, for spoilers. You basically spend all of your time building up your retinue as strong with as much cool stuff strong, as possible. Free. Ball <laughs> free. <laughs> so you're making like your guys as strong as possible for this final fight and it's just you against like literally a hundred or more of these enemies and you've never had anything like that that you've done before. Um, and you don't know that before <laughs> before you get there. It's not like they like tell you that that's going to happen. So... You know, it's like if you have a fight that's like three years before that and you lose like all of your best characters, then you're fucked. You yeah. Um, or if they theoretically just died of old age. Right. Really, yeah. you know, out of terrible timing. I mean, I think that the age thing, it was just if you're complaining about all your guys after one turn dying on the timeline, then that just means that you weren't managing your age correctly, in my opinion. I mean, the way I was looking at it is I was constantly. I w- like in deciding who's doing what, a lot of it has to do with how old they are, um, how fast they've gained uh, experience, right? If their parents are like sixes and sevens in levels, then they're going to be much more experienced by like three years old mm-hmm. than like a four or five year old parents that are like ha- putting off offspring that are like 20 years old, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you would have fertility rates for different people, and then you're like, okay, well, this person's really young, and they're super fertile, so I'm going to have that person be, like, a child bearer. Like, they're going to be one of the regents. I'm not going to have them be a fighter. But then for all the people that weren't regents that you're not trying to make babies with and stuff, like, I was constantly trying to put in, essentially, the youngest people um, that had the highest levels in order for them to be able to, ha- like, create relics and have sort of long... The best thing that you can do really in the game is have characters that uh, go through about two or three different battles of time and um, they create relics for your bloodlines and stuff. You can pass them down over the, over the, over the nation or over the time uh, in your family. But I, I, I never really felt like cheated by people dying at an early age and stuff. And um, I never really felt like I never really felt like the randomness of where I was dropped on a map was like too hard or too stupid for me to overcome. I mean, it's just, it just speaks to your level of strategic discipline really. Um, but the real, I mean, the real blow to my, to my, you know, my gut was whenever I got to the end and I didn't like, you know, the first time I played through the game, I didn't have any relics. Uh, in fact, the first time I played through the game, I didn't even, I don't even think I got to the end. All my Mm -hmm. stuff collapsed. Second time I went through, I was like, okay, I got all my stuff, but I didn't really understand how the relics worked as well. And so I got to the end, and like, once my guys die, they die. Whereas at the end, if you have relics, like your guys get respawned with like super powerful guys in the past that you've played with and stuff. Um, but yeah, in in uh, in the third time when I went through, yeah, it was just it, it made sense. So mm-hmm. I, I guess I wasn't. I, I never really felt like I was just like really being pulled around, and that like. 
in the parts that I wasn't actively physically making stuff happen that I was getting screwed. Like I didn't really feel that way that often, except for the first time I played through until the end. Cool. Uh, so the last thing I want to touch on is I just want to talk about the items a little bit. Uh, you you get to, um, give all your guys armor and weapons and all that, but also some things I, I picked up on the reviews is there's, traits that your heroes will have whether it's like brainy or like um whatever they were you know i'm sure yeah you, you have like bear strength or you yeah heart disease is one of them lone wolf yeah lone maybe wolf. yeah and sure. like all of those interact with each other in different ways and as they mate and stuff they get switched off they get switched around and all that i read that there were so many of those things and they all did such like shallow different like things yeah. that you honestly just stop paying attention to them um is was that the case for you and did you find that like it was just maybe unneeded like features that didn't create any depth or maybe they actually were like you know they helped with the overall just complexity of the game um anyway i think that i think that they did contribute to the to com- the complexity of the game in an overall good way, I'll agree that there was a little bit of vagueness or, or nebulousness about what those things actually did and like how much they affected your player. Like sometimes you'd have something that would say like nearsighted, and then that would put their sight down. You could see how much it took their sight down. So in that instance, you're not like don't make him an archer. Well, yeah, and well, and that would always happen to archers, right? And mm-hmm. then you know you never have like. You never have like a doubt as to what nearsighted actually meant, but then there's other times when it would be like, um, you know, puny. <laughs> You're like, what does that mean? Like, how does that? And it'll give you a description, but it'll be like he's less likely to do something. And you'd be like, I don't really know what that's gonna mean yeah. in the game. And then especially with breeding, yeah, like if you put people in your regency that are that are making the babies that have really solid attributes, right? Like if you have a mom that's bear strength and a dad that's a lone wolf, like more than likely you'll have those sorts of traits passed down. So all your kids after that will be like pretty rowdy, but it's never this, it's never like the same. It's not like, it's not like you can't count on anybody having any sort of personality trait because it's all like, it's pretty randomized. You yeah. Know? Um, so but but I found myself again like going through the third time like I was really paying attention to I think that's the biggest the biggest underlying thing is like you really have to care about the people like the more you invest in your people the better your your odds are for surviving and not just investing in your people with like training and and giving them cool equipment and stuff but like making your regencies and your keeps and um you know all the people that are upholding those keeps and, and making children and offspring like you want them to be super like as good as possible and, and there's there's different ways to bring in people from you know it's like search for discover new heroes right and so like if you'll discover new heroes and then you'll have like a family line that you're trying to uphold and it's like this one random person's fertile and they they have a lot of these good personality traits and then you can put them in with some other randomly discovered hero that you just found that has like all these other random badass traits it's just like yeah that 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 bloodline is starting to kind of shape up and by the end of the game you'll be like yeah all of my guys are super rowdy from this family um (laughs) it's awesome but 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 yeah i mean it it is 
you never really feel like you've gotten a grasp on it, I think. You know, it, it is really sort of random, and, like, even after having played it almost f- through four times, like, I still don't even understand hardly how relics work, really. Like, what gives you a relic versus what doesn't give you a relic. Um, or how how traits are passed on versus what traits, like, are not as likely to be passed on. So, yeah, I mean, there definitely is sort of a shooting with your eyes closed sort of um, tactic that you have to take, but I think it's not too much to overtake, and I don't think it takes negatively away from the game. Interesting. Yeah, a, a lo- another thing, they, they said that, like, the, the, one of the guys I reviewed it, um, he is a long long-time... XCOM player and he'd he'd beaten XCOM on classic difficulty uh, with Iron Man mode on very which is tough right he's that's like the highest of highs very good at the game and he said that he was not able to beat uh, Massive Chalice on hard after ten attempts yeah and I, he, I lost a hard as well and he and a part of me wants to and he's he kind of attributes it to to that random element where at the end of the day some of just the games. Uh, you're at the mercy of of what the game is going to do at times, and it sort of stops you from being able to have like a a grander plan and strategy. Um, so just give me your last quick thoughts on uh, difficulty, and then we'll we'll go with the final question. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I was really disappointed with how hard it was. Um, after after sort of feeling like I mounted the normal difficulty, I was like, okay, and that's well, not even the hardest difficulty. No, it's it, brutal. Normal is is the yeah. Normal is the easiest. Hard is next, and then brutal is the hardest. Brutal with an umlaut, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I I was just like, I understand all the mechanics. I know exactly what I need to do. But it was like instead of just making one or two aspects of the game a little bit harder, they just like made everything a little bit harder. You know, it was like. Every enemy had more HP. Every enemy did more damage to you. Uh, all of the research that it took to have anything happen took marginally more time. Um, it was harder to, like, your guys would die from old age earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it was just I think Maybe too, some it was just too issues. much convergence of too many upgrades as far as difficulty stuff. But I was really enticed by how fun it was on normal because it it was. It was like something that I started out being like, I think this is impossible. Like when I first started it, I was like, I don't think that you're supposed to finish this game. Um, and then the second time I went through and I understood it a little bit more. And then the third time I went through, I really understood it a lot more. So um, it was cool feeling like, yeah, you had kind of paramounted that that um, that obstacle. But yeah, I would say for anybody, just play on normal. I mean, I think it's worth playing. You could play it over and over and over again on normal and it won't it'll be the same thing but it, it, it'll it be you'll have different bloodlines and different you know traits and stuff that you have and different relics i mean the relic system is awesome i really like the relics yeah system, so uh, but yeah that's kind of how i feel about the difficulty of it well cool i mean despite some of the negative things we've said you still put in a really good amount of time um to the game because you enjoyed playing it so with all of the things in mind that we've said tonight what would you score this one i think i'd give it like an 8.5 you know, I mean, I think that I think it's a really big drawback that it is that the difficulty is so hard that you can't advance to hard, like unless you're just perfect. I I don't even think that there is a way to be perfect in the game. That's what's really frustrating. Like mm-hmm. your strategy, do, your strategy does get shot to shit in a lot of a lot <laughs> of <laughs> scenarios. Um, but and you know, I think maybe 
having a, a few more characters with a few more dynamics might have been a little bit better. Um, but overall, I think that they they hit the nail on the head as far as like the overall concept of the game, which was family legacies, um, create like constructing things, researching things, um, building a realm within which you can fortify each other. From, I mean, it's it really parallels um, Game of Thrones, right? It's like it's like the White Walkers. Yeah, you have White Walkers coming, and you have different kinds of White Walkers. You you know, mm-hmm. and then you have like you have your seven kingdoms that you're trying, or your seven realms of the kingdom that you're trying to like uphold and stuff. So, um, and they all have their little different dynamics. At one point, it was even like your two blood, your two family lines are feuding, and I was like, I don't even know what that means, but <laughs> I mean that sucks. Work it out. Yeah. So, um, I just think that, I, I think all of the dynamics were really good. I just think that there's a few knobs and, and kinks that they might be able to, to straighten out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was anything that I'm willing to put that much time into as somebody that doesn't play as much games. Um, it definitely speaks to the quality of the, uh, the game design and, and, and kind of, it's a pretty art, it was I, a pretty art style too. Yeah, it's a pretty art style, but I, I I just think that I got it, you know. Like it was one of those things where, again, like The Witcher is like it made sense, so I went forward with it. Whereas like other things sometimes don't make sense, and I'm just like really easily turned off by those things. But yeah, sure. Um, if you don't mind, Hunter, I have a third topic oh, if yeah. you would like. I, I don't have any schedule, so. We're so I guess we can go ahead and move on to that because like, we don't we don't want to play the same halftime music twice. Okay. But um, you mentioned just a second ago since I don't really play games. I think this last even semester even I have would have to disagree with you. I think you play a ton of games. I think I've seen you really grow as a gamer, um, like substantially. You know, when we first got the PlayStation this year, um, you were on Grand Theft Auto quite a bit and then next thing you know um mortal Kombat hit and we played that for a little while Mm -hmm. then was nidhogg nidhogg kept us busy for a while you hopped right back on to diddy kong racing yeah um i did pokemon you fucking play that's right you played the shit out of pokemon um and then witcher and magic fucking yeah but we can that's another podcast it's a game it's not a video game okay um then Witcher hit, and of course that took over your weekends. Yeah. And then um, Massive Chalice kind of stepped up next. Yeah, it's a smattering. And <laughs> I think that you've been spending more time with games than you realize, and I've been able to see that in even just the way that you talk about them and how you're sort of, sort of being able to hone in on key concepts of games mm-hmm. and understand them a little bit better. Um, and not only that, but I think your your swath of genres has expanded. You've, for the first time, got into a very deep third-person ro- uh, role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, you've poured a lot of time into this these turn-based strategy games, which you've played before and you've always liked, but um, you were able to see the novelness in this one and mm-hmm. let that be what kind of attracted you to it. Uh, then on top of that, just playing Mortal Kombat, and honestly, I think I would classify Nidhogg as a very light fighting game as well, and seeing the mechanics there for what it is. Mm-hmm. Where, like, how do, you, how do you think your relationship with games and maybe your even perception of them um, has changed, and how do you view yourself um, as a gamer going into the future? Because 
I think personally, you have switched from what being a television watcher to being a, a video game player in your in your free time. Yeah, uh, I'll agree that I think I have totally grown as a as a gamer. I mean, listing off all those, it it brings back how much time I have put into it. Um, I think the thing that frustrates me, the reason why I always refer to myself as somebody that doesn't play games as much is because it's not as intuitive to me. Like, you <laughs> play a game, and you can master that thing in, like, 10 hours, and it's going to take me, like, 40 hours for me to master that. Um, I still have lead fingers. I still button mash hard. Um, I'm, I'm becoming more aware with sort of the finer details that come along with most games and, and how to be able to point out certain things. But I'm still just, I don't feel very intuitive with most games. I mean, there, there's still very, very many games that I come across and I'm like, God, I don't know. I all know how to do this, you know? Um, so I think that's why I always refer to myself in that light that like, you know, I don't play as much. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think... You know, I, I definitely have a plan to to get a console at least by like this Christmas. Fuck yeah. Um, well, it's just like I, I'm gonna also need Netflix and stuff too. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can't just be completely detached from video games and Netflix and HBO and uh, the things that I normally get into. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think that the. I think I've been a little bit more open-minded and honestly I've had more time this year um, because of the way that my, my semesters and stuff were scheduled and, and not really having as many friends around in Austin. Um, I've just had more time this year where I was like willing to just kind of plug in, you know, and, and not really, not really like feel like gaming was this or that. It was just something that, you know, I was exploring into. Um, I think that, um, I still think that it's frustrating watching people like you and Max play video games. And, like, I understand what you're doing, but I just can't do it, you know? <laughs> it's different where it's, like, I feel like when, like, I feel like when Darian, you know, like, using Darian, you trying to get her to play uh, Halo a little bit was interesting because it's, like, there's certain things that she just, like, doesn't see. Like, somebody will go behind her mm-hmm. and... You and I are both sitting there like that dude's right behind you. Like, why can't you see that dude's right behind you? And like, she just didn't see it, right? She's like, it didn't even really like come up. Where, whereas, like now, I can see a lot of those same things that you're seeing. I just can't do the same things that you're doing to like mitigate those those risks or mitigate those problems. Um, and I and I think that um, I mean the only way I'm gonna really be able to start getting into that to that mode is really like just putting in more of a breadth of. of, of the games that I well, have. I think what's been so awesome about video games growing, and even even now, um, where we're at in 2015, is I think there are games for everyone. And you describing yourself as, ha- as having lead fingers and stuff like you can see th- like that theoretically shouldn't shouldn't be a detriment to you. Like that means play puzzle games, you know, play mind based games. And, and that's what I usually like. I mean, Guitar Hero, turn based strategy. Like, if I play fighting games, I like fighting games, but I, I'm just not deft enough to, to do, like, a downright X-square triangle circle combo. You know? Right. It's just, like, it's just not going to happen. Right? <laughs> Especially not in the timing that it takes to be able to do it, like, in real speed, so. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, you've seen now, you've ventured into other genres, genres that are honestly pretty well established now, mm-hmm. but 
even past that, there are games being made now that I haven't myself gotten to play that are so incredibly novel. Mm -hmm. For instance, I just found this new game on mobile called Framed, and the whole concept of the game is that you look at uh, comic book pages and you move the panels around in order to get the characters through the environment in a successful way, <laughs> and it's like a puzzle where there'll be like a ladder and a window and like a zip line or whatever. You need to hit it, get them out the ladder or out the window onto the ladder into the zip line. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do it right, they'll miss the zip line, fall and die and wow. things like that. There's another one that's making huge waves right now called Her Story. And it's on PC. And essentially what you're doing is you're looking at real video footage um, of a woman in like a prison garb and there's like a, a camera on her and she's basically being like questioned and interviewed mm -hmm. and you have to go through all of these tapes of what she's saying and like piece together the story and you basically become a detective. Wow. And so like there's so many different things out there now um, that I hope that you keep continuing to find games that you enjoy and being intrigued in new ones. And a lot of the efforts that I've done in bringing game-related content into the living room has been a way to silently show you them. Yeah. And to keep you, up, and to keep you updated <laughs> on them, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because that's, that's another battle, is, right. is staying current on it. And, of course, that's what I've been doing, like, my whole fucking life. But... Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge reason, right? I mean, you can't just, like, live with somebody that... Your your best friends with and stuff, and they have these like really, you know, urgent passions uh, that that sort of inflame them, and then you 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 just don't take part at all. Like, yeah, and especially when it's something that it is something that I can enjoy, um, even if not in the same way or in the same magnitude. Um, but I have a question to to counter your third question. Sick. Which is you know. For me, yeah, I guess my understanding of gaming has flourished this year through the uh, the practical approach of a play of playing more games and being exposed to more stuff. But I guess it's been interesting watching you really trying to get into the theoretical aspect of gaming, into the philosophical, and even um, you know just what is really happening in an interface between w when a game is playing and when a person's playing it. Um, and now you're starting to work for a company and you went to IGN and saw a bunch of people that, you know, that have, you've been looking up to for like 10 years or more. And I'm just kind of wondering how, how do you see yourself? Cause you haven't gotten to play as much video games. I feel like as this year in, in proportion, as far as like investing research, you've been doing much more of that than you have like playing the mm -hmm. games. So how do you feel like your outlook on video games is has changed and do you do you feel like it's more it's becoming more of like a um do you feel like it's becoming more of a sort of like because uh, before i would say it was purely based on like passion and enjoyment whereas now i feel like it's a lot more like you're thinking about it a lot more it's not as much about like i want to play games because you're fun it's more like i like I, you see it on a different level now. So like, I guess I'm wondering how you're, how you see yourself in the midst of the gaming realm now. Yeah. Um, so a couple answers, right? So to, the thing is, is I do glean enjoyment and pleasure from the theoretical side of them as well. So 
it's not that like I have stopped enjoying them because I haven't that I don't play them as much anymore as much as that like my enjoyment of them is switching mm-hmm. to a different side of them and I really am beginning to enjoy like watch getting to see I mean you're almost like a fucking case study in a way where like I get to learn all this theoretical stuff and I get to watch you play and I get to like try to analyze what is like actually happening in the moment of you playing it and like see if all the things I'm learning can be applied to this moment now Mm -hmm. and you know with like teaching Darian breaking down how a game works in different metaphorical senses that will then make sense to her and therefore make it easier to understand because that's ultimately what I want to do is like bring gaming to more people and make it this unnebulous, like I'm, I'm trying to shed a lot of the old just connotations with it and, and and yeah, and get to the heart of the matter. And what's incredible is as gaming grows as a medium, the acceptance and the role of play as a, in our culture and in the world's culture is becoming huge compared to what it used to be. Like in the industrial revolution, like you basically had two modes of, um, of life and that was work and productivity. And then there was leisure and relaxation. Mm -hmm. And when you have a, a society now that like everything in our lives is becoming incredibly playful whether it is the fact that we consume games on a massive scale or that like all of the operating systems that we use are like colorful and like tile based and easy and intuitive and like everything's a fucking playful experience now. And you have to wonder how much gaming is responsible for that, especially considering the fact that video games are pretty much what um, introduce computers into people's lives every time. Nine times out of 10, the way you acclimate yourself to a computer is by playing a game on it. Mm hmm. And having that start in the 70s and get to where it is now, you have to wonder what role that contributes to the threat of society, right. you know? And so that's been what is like super intriguing to me. It's probably more like a rope at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then when it comes to actually realizing that, like, I don't have as much time to play games anymore, um, and that's just been true since high school onwards, like, where I could, I didn't have as much responsibility and I could dedicate hours and hours and hours to these things. And as that sort of leaves, it's made me focus my, um, my, my likes and dislikes. Like I'm starting to realize now, like what I like in video games, what I find new enough and novel enough to warrant me trying them and realizing that money is finite. When I was in high school, it was either I worked and didn't pay any bills, so I had a ton of exposable income, or my parents were buying me games. Yeah. And that wasn't a real an obstacle for me. Right. So now it's I actually enjoy it because what it does is it makes me really critically think as a consumer, what am I going to spend my money on? I'm going to spend my money on something that is A, um, reviewing well. It doesn't have any bugs and it's not broken and it's going to be something that I know I can spend time with for the next three, four months. You know, I I used to, I used to go, you know, when I first moved to college, I sold all of my Xbox 360 games, uh, except for a few. So I could have money to buy more. Once I got to college, I sold 36 of them. I had an obscene amount of video games. Now I'm playing maybe four games a year. Yeah. And I'm starting to enjoy that. And I, there are so many games coming out that, and I think this is just true across like um, the cultural landscape now. There's so many fucking TV shows, so many movies, so many video games that you have to feel like you're constantly having to catch up 
with yeah. the zeitgeist. Right, and yeah. I've really fucking let go of that. Opportunity cost. I yeah. a huge bitch in society. I'm starting to not care. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just pick what I like. I'm going to fucking dive down into it like Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. And then while I wait, I'm going to play really fun, quick games like Resogun, you know, that are just complete and total gameplay experiences. Right. Um, and... You know, it gets to the point now where, like, with PlayStation Plus, I have a fucking smattering of free games. Yeah. And even on really Xbox awesome. One, I have Assassin's Creed Black Flag, which is a triple A title, free, sitting on my hard drive. But I'm You're not, not even, I'm it. not playing them, you know, <laughs> yeah. because it's not like I just don't feel compelled to do so. And you don't have as much time. Exactly. But do you feel like, do you feel like the average consumer, I mean, you're, you're clearly more well read up on wh- how games are being updated and whether or not they're going well or whether they're not or and you know what games are going to provide for you do you feel like the average consumer is better off where you're having all of this opportunity cost around where it's like i'm sure that the average consumer would would agree with you in feeling like you know you can't just buy everything that's out there right now because there's so much and each game contains so much that it's like it's not even worth it do you feel like the average consumer is sort of like getting uh, hung out to dry because they're making decisions about games that like are such a big part of what their gameplay is going to be and it might not be what they want? Or do you feel like they're getting better um, hookups because the, the the variety is so much wider and there is always that, that ability to be able to kind of like hone in hopefully on what you like more so than everything else? Yeah, I think there's two sides of that. I think one... There is advantages because I think there is literally something for everybody now. Um, we're, we're seeing even to the point where a lot of the game developers who are making, a lot of people in the indie scene right now were kids who grew up in the late 80s and they played um, like old school SNES, Metroid, Super Metroid, or just like like Shovel Knight is a love letter to old games. Yeah, And we're seeing that now. And so there's like... I think there's something for everybody and people can find their niche. They can find what they like and they can just buy it over and over and over again. Mm. But I also think that consumers consistently get screwed and get robbed um, because they're not keeping up to date with what's going on. You know, you look at Assassin's Creed Unity that had like the perception of that game was pretty fucked. It had a lot of bugs. It had a lot of issues. There's a lot of problems going on with it. But at the same time, those bugs and issues probably didn't happen to the large percentage of players who bought it. And at the end of the day, there's a large amount of people who didn't even know that shit was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that annual franchises like Call of Duty and Assassin's Creed um, that come out every year are sort of preying on those people in like in sports games too, especially, yeah. are preying on the fact that people like don't pay attention. They just buy it every year. And I... They're, there needs to be more consumer awareness in the fact that like, I think pre-order culture is fucking terrible and anti-consumer. And that has like been a staple of the gaming industry for a long time, Mm -hmm. mostly because of physical medium and the relationships that have been made there through like GameStop and such that needs to go away. Um, and the only way to make that go away is to realize that you probably shouldn't buy a game at launch unless you are like absolutely sure what it is, what, you know, like fallout Four. you buy that game at launch, but everything else you need to read up on. And me two years ago would have probably bought the new Batman game at launch but I realize now that like that game might not be for me and 
if you just read about it and you figure out what it is first, you can save yourself time and money. Yeah, you watch other people play it at this point. Yeah, it's and and that's what's been fucking crazy is how big um, the portion of the industry of just watching people play games has exploded. You know, that, it really does blow my mind. I mean, it's fucking massive. I don't get it. To the, to the full extent. PewDiePie really. recently, there was an article, like just the other day, it's been out of that. Last year, he made $7 million in ad revenue just from playing games. Yeah, it's outrageous. It's crazy. That's not fair. <laughs> but yeah. Well, anyway, that's cool, man. You that's know. all I got. Good stuff. Well, then we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Yeah, we uh, went a little, little, little long, right? It's good. It was a good episode. Yeah, for sure. It was. I mean, we might lose people through some of the, the more esoteric talking about the games specifically but i bet people who are gamers will enjoy the whole thing hey man it's all about putting it on record you know exactly Our thoughts anyway that was just the quip uh thank you everybody for listening if you want to email the show and suggest a topic for just the quip you can do so at wittybantershow at gmail.com we'll open it and read it you can even suggest a show about like what are the top 10 reasons why you guys are douchebags and we'll answer i would answer it's fine yeah. um but you can also, you can find the show on iTunes. Just go to iTunes, search Witty Banter, hit subscribe. All of our episodes will show up in your download queue for free. If you don't have iTunes, that's okay. You can go to wittybantershow.com and download all the episodes from there. Keep up with us um, on Facebook. We're facebook.com slash wittybanterpodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at wittybantershow. I am on Twitter. I'm at Bodacious Chase. Hunter is at Diesel Dorset. Um, and that's been everything. I don't think, oh yeah, we're on YouTube. Not not a lot of videos going up recently because we don't have a camera anymore. But if you want to watch old episodes, just search for Witty Banter on YouTube and you'll find us there. For sure. For sure. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Hunter, thank you for being on. It's been a pleasure as always. Thanks for suggesting it, man. Of course. Until next time, this is Witty Banter. Bit-o-bit-boop. bit boop bit boop